one of my mentors in preaching told me, said, every good sermon should either make you go out or amen. Um, today, I think we're going to get a little bit of both of it as we look at James and we talk about a faith that resists snobbery, a faith that resists snobbery. And so let me just read the text together and then, and then we'll start looking at it. So if you're in James, we're going to actually tackle 13 verses today. Um, we're going to begin in verse one and go to verse 13. This is God's word. It says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit over here in the good place while you say to the poor man, you sit over here or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But... If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For the one who keeps the whole law but fails in any one point has become accountable for all of it. For he said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of all of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us. This text, even though it is very applicable to us and how we live out our faith, ultimately reflects that you have been merciful to us. Lord, I pray today that you would help us as individuals and as a church to be more loving, to be more reflective of your mercy and of your grace. And ultimately, Father, that through proclaiming your word today, that you would change our hearts, change our attitudes, change our actions, that we may be more welcoming and loving and useful to you to do the work of your kingdom here on earth and especially amongst our community. Father, speak to us now through your spirit. Challenge our sin. Grow us in grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what is snobbery? Let's start off and, and talk about that. Snobbery, uh, the, the, the dictionary definition says, one who by his conduct makes evident that he sets excessive store by rank, wealth, social, eminence, and to the detriment of merit. That's kind of complicated. Uh, Another dictionary, a more simpler one says, anyone who thinks they're better than someone else based on superficial factors. I like that one. They think that they're better on, better than someone else, not because they've tested and weighed and said, yes, I, I, 
I know more about you than this subject. Or I, but because they look at someone and because the way they look or what they drive or the color of their skin, they say, oh, I'm better than that. That's snobbery. That's snobbery. Um, I was trying to think of a few illustrations that I've experienced this, and maybe you've experienced this in a church. In fact, in Louisville, there is a couple, this is a powerful ministry, there is a couple, he's a lawyer, he's fairly prominent, he's a wealthy man, loves Jesus, him and his wife got so tired of visiting churches and be, and being sucked up to, that they started their own little ministry, and they'll go to a church. I mean, they go all out on this. They have a beater car, they dress in rags, and they sleep in the car in the church parking lot the night before the church. They get up, they come in, they're nice to everybody, they see how everybody, how, how everybody treats them, and then when it's time for the sermon, guess who gets up to preach? He does. And it's a te- it's it's usually a text like this one right here. And you want to talk about a gotcha? I wanted to try to do that to you this morning, but I didn't. But I've experienced this myself. I I was saved when I was a teenager. I had no church background. I didn't know anything about the church. If you told me John three sixteen, I'd be like three six. What? I'd look at my watch. I had no clue. And I remember I went to a fundamentalist church one time and I had long hair, believe it or not. I had hair that came down to about right here. I was so proud of it. The Lord took away my pride. He humbled me. But I went to a church one time and as I walked out, one of the, one of the ushers in the back, I don't know if it's deacon or whatever, cause I never went back. He said, son, go to the barbershop before you come back here. I've been to church with a young lady before who wore pants, nice pants. And she was told kind of the same thing. They said, next time wear a dress. I was in, I I pastored a church in Nevada and we were doing a lot to reach out to the community. Kids that had never been in church before. We had a, we had a high school of 170 kids and we would put on youth events I would put on a youth event with some other people in the community. We would have 120 kids. The high school was 170. I mean, it was awesome. And these kids started coming to my church. And we had a piano in back in one of the hallways. It was away from the sanctuary. It's one of these things. The piano's in the hall. I'm asking, why do we have this piano? We don't know who gave it to us, so we don't want to get rid of it. So there's just this random piano sitting in the back of the hall that shouldn't be there to begin with. A couple of the teenagers who had visited the church that we were reaching out to on the Bible studies in the midweek were back there between Sunday school and the worship service. And one of the girls is playing a worship song and the other three girls are singing the worship song. And somebody came and scolded them for playing this piano. Scolded them. Said, kids, you need to learn how to act in church. One of those girls has never gone back to a church since. This happens. And these are, you might think, over-the-top things. But we have to be careful about this. We have to be mindful about this because our hearts, our inclinations are inclined towards snobbery. We're inclined to look down at others. We all are. And so James writes a very powerful powerful message here that I want us to look at and to think about that, that, that we, listen, I'm not trying to get onto this church. I think we have a very loving church. I've heard from a number of people who come and visit that we are a loving church, but you know what? We can all improve, can't we? We can. 
And I want this to be the most loving church. I want people, I want people to, to find excuses not to come here because they feel so loved and welcomed when they come in. Okay? We should do that, right? And this verse is going to help explain why that is the case. So we see here, James sets off in the first verse here. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord of glory. He is writing to the church. If we remember a little bit about James, I know it's been a while. We had our Christmas break and some other things. But if we remember, James was the pastor in Jerusalem. His church has been disbanded because of persecution that set in. And so now these are, these are, are, are Jewish, Hebrew background people living in a foreign land. They're living in different places. They're scattered from their home. They're probably encountering a lot of different challenging things and people and individuals. And so James writes and says, show no partiality. Again, we're getting into a very practical section here of James. The next thing is, is how our faith and our works are together, that, a, that true faith shows itself and works. So James is getting really practical here. And he's, he's bringing up something that he's heard about or he knows that, uh, that happens. And it's, it's an event with the church usher. Bob, you made it in the Bible. The head usher. Here is, is the one that, uh, that, that is the target because of what has happened. And it seems as though what's happened is that they are, they are gathered together. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I think I told you that we think that James is one of the first books written. It's very early. In fact, when it says when you come together in the assembly, it uses the word synagogue in the, in the, in the Greek. When you come together. So it's very early that the church is still meeting together in synagogues. The believers are being converted and the synagogues are used to, to preach Christ. And so James writes and he, he writes of this incident where it looks like a man walks in and, and you can look at him and know that he's wealthy. He has a gold ring. He says he's dressed finely. And he comes in and the usher says, Oh, you come here. I've got, I've got the place for you. And he puts them in the best spot. And likewise, someone comes in that's poor. He's dressed in shabby clothing. And the, the usher says, you get the corner. Uh, we got a, we've, got a, we've got a beautiful balcony up in the back that we'd love to put you in. Where no one will see you. <laughs> Or it says, even they might say, just, just sit at, just sit at my feet. We don't, we don't have a, we don't have a real spot for you. You can, you can sit over here. We want to save the good spots for the good people. And so this is, this is the, the incident that, that invokes this, this idea of how we are to hold our faith without, without judging, without, uh, being snobbish towards others, especially, especially when we gather together like this in a setting where we invite and we encourage anyone and everyone to come through these doors and find a place that's welcoming that will tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. How important is it the way we receive individuals? How important. So there's four things here that I want to, that, that, that he brings up in this text. I'm about to shorten it to two the more I keep smelling the food for dinner after here. But, uh, 
We've got four things here that, that are brought up in the text that I want to highlight and show you because it all approaches this idea of, of snobbery and not to hold your faith in, in snobbery. Um, it, it, it holds it together here in four different ways. The first thing I want you to see is that, that when we are snobbish towards others in this kind of setting, that we reflect corrupt judgment. We are being bad judges, sinful judges, wrong judges. And we see this here in verse 4. The usher that seats these two men, he takes, uh, he takes himself as a judge, right? He looks at one man and he says, you are worthy of honor. And he looks at another man and says, you are not worthy of this kind of honor. And he turns himself into a judge and he judges and says, this is the man who we should regard highly and this is the man who we should regard lowly based just on the clothes that they're wearing. Based just on the clothes that he's wearing. He says, uh, James says in verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Judges with evil thoughts. Now, in the Bible, there is one judge. There is one true judge, and it's God himself. And why is God the one that is qualified to be the judge? Because one, he's the the one that hasn't broken the law. Because two, he knows everything. And he judges not on the external. He judges on the internal. And so we leave our judgment to him. Can we be discerning in things? Yes. Okay, this isn't a sermon that says, don't ever, don't ever be discerning about anything. But if you look at the Bible and what it says, when it talks about judging, it says, first of all, God is the judge. It says, secondly, don't go around judging others and trying to assume the place of God. And third, you better be more careful about judging yourself than you judge others. You better be more careful about the way you think about yourself. If you want to be a judge, start at home. Look at the plank in your own eye before you point out the speck in your brother's. Now, when we judge this judgment here, when we're snobbish, when we judge, especially on external things, and let's be honest, people, most of our first impression judgments are external things, aren't they? We, sh- we, 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 we judge a person up because the way he's dressed, because what they look like, because where they live, because they're, the way they speak. We do. We already categorize them. Important, not important. I'm so glad God doesn't look at us like that. Before we've made a conversation with anyone, before we've seen anything about their heart, their intentions, their actions, we've already made all of these judgments so often. We have to be careful of this. The New English translation translate this, uh, verse 4, do you not see that you are inconsistent and and judged by false standards? Again, the idea here is not that the, that the, the, the usher knew this man with the gold ring and the fine dress, and he knew this is a very godly man, and he's a pillar in our church, and, and he's worthy of honor. You know, if, if, if somebody important, if, if the president came and wanted to be part of the, you know, worship with us, or, or a congressman, or something like that, you know, this happens sometimes, and it doesn't mean that you can't bring and put them in a place, 
But the point is, is this usher quickly looked at this guy and said, you're worthy and you're not. And he did so by a false standard. And most of the time, that's the way we operate as well. Judgment based on outward things is a corrupt way to judge. It is the wrong way to judge. And here this usher made this judgment just based on the outward appearance. One looked rich, one looked poor. One looked important, one looked unimportant. God's judgment is based on our hearts. He knows us. He knows us. He knows we're struggling. He knows when we're doing well. He's shaping us. He's molding us. We need to look for the same in others. It is extremely important that we don't judge this way. We don't base our judgment on this way. We don't look down on others this way. I, I, I don't care if it, it's how they're dressed, what part of town they live in, the color of their skin, how they sound when they speak, the education they have, whether or not they have tattoos. Okay, that happens. What position they hold in the community. When we look at the outward things and we make judgments on people based on that, we are also being bad judges. Friends, it's not your place. Don't try to take this place. They talked about Jesus like this. They judged Jesus by the outward. Listen to some, some of the things that are said. Matthew eleven nine. Jesus says um, that, that they, this is what the, the Pharisees and the leaders, this is what they're describing of Jesus. They say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. He eats and he drinks. And not only that, look at his, look at his company, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He hangs with the wrong crowd. This isn't a righteous man. This isn't a religious man. Look at him. Jesus himself says in Matthew 9, 11 through 13, he says, he gives this account. He says, when the Pharisees saw this, or when the Pharisees saw this, this is what they say. They say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and with the sinners? Friends, would somebody convict you of eating dinner with the wrong type of people? I wish they would of me. Because I need to make some of those friends. We all do. You know why? Because Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well do not need a doctor. Those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch, right? When we come into the house of God, especially, our role is not to judge each other. Our role is not to judge new people. Our role is to welcome and to love, to come and to worship together, not to be caught up by what someone's wearing, by what someone did, by what someone looks like, by what someone talks like, by, oh, my word, I can't believe that person's here. We want that person here. This is the place to come when you're hurt. This is the place that should be more welcoming than anywhere else in the world. A place that says, I know you're broken. I know there's sin. I know it hurts. Come and let me share hope with you. Christ loves you. There is forgiveness. That's what this place should be. That's what the church should be. 
second point here is that when we, when, we, when we judge others and we're snobbish, we are ignoring grace. We are ignoring the concept and the idea of grace. Um, whatever we can say about the church, the, the bedrock thing that we should say is that the church is made up of sinners saved by grace. Every one of us. Every one of us should be, should be happily, happy to say, I'm not perfect. Some churches, some churches make whole mottos of their church, you know, no perfect people allowed. Like, that's been a big, co- that's, you know, it's been a big new thing. You find churches and, like, that's their tagline, no perfect people allowed. And it's true, and we need to remind ourselves of that. If you're perfect, there's no place here for you. Jesus is the only perfect one. And he saved me and I need his grace and I want to share his grace and his mercy with others. And that's why we come here to celebrate that grace and that mercy. When it comes to worship, we all stand on level ground. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all have different sins. We all have different temptations. We've all come through different things. We're all at different places. But we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? See, you get to say amen, not just ouch. <clears throat> grace makes salvation uh, possible. Remember this, grace makes salvation possible to all. It doesn't matter their standing. It doesn't matter their standing. James says this here. He says, listen, my dear friends, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? If we look back at history, we will see that the church has almost always been made up of not of the cultural elite, but of the common and the poor and the destitute. Jesus himself, when he came, who did he go to? Did he go to the rich? Did he go to the powerful? Did he go to the elite? No. He picked 12 boys to be his disciples. They were boys. Probably 18 at the eldest to be his disciples. He ate with the people that would make people say, look who he's eating with. That's not right. He loved those people. He came for the sick, not for the well. He came for those who are humble enough to acknowledge that they need salvation, that they need forgiveness. And that should be us as well. Um, I don't know of, of anybody here that's a cultural elite <laughs> that is, you know, a filthy rich person. Now, maybe you might be, and I don't know it, but we need to, we need to find out, okay, <laughs> if something should be indicated. But the point is, as he says here that we are chosen, it reminds me of Paul writing in 1 Corinthians where he says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things. Okay? Say it, I'm a foolish thing. Right? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak. I'm a weak thing of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly. I'm a lowly thing of this world and and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So that no one may be a snob. So that no one can look down and say, well, I'm just better than you. The point here is 
We all need this grace and forgiveness. We're all a mess. We're all a mess in need of Jesus. The snobbish usher at First Baptist Church here, <laughs> he, uh, he wasn't being very graceful, was he? He was being a judge and he wasn't being graceful. He was looking at the appearance of somebody and saying, you can't be any good. And looking at the appearance of others and saying, oh, you must be really good. And just judging on appearances, we do this, we do this. It's not grace. God does things in people who we would never expect. Okay? The the man standing before you right now proclaiming the word of God to you, if you saw me when I was a 14-year-old kid that just accepted Christ, you would say, there's no way he's going to be a preacher. We've got to be careful to hope and love and, and try to encourage everyone to be disciples and let God do what he's going to do because we don't know by the appearance what's going on. We don't know what God's going to do in their life. I love woodworking. Many of you know this. Those who moved, when I, when I moved here, who helped me unload the truck, you know, they, I was told, why did you bring a Lowe's store with you? Um, I, have, I like wood. I have a collection of wood. And one of the things I like to work with is what's called rough lumber. And rough lumber, this, this is a piece of wood that I got from my neighbor's mill in Tennessee. And uh, it sure doesn't look like much, does it? I grabbed this out of my, my collection <laughs> last night. And in, you know, 20 minutes of working with it, you have a beautiful piece of cherry. Friends, this is what we see in others. This is what God sees. Do you get that? When we judge others by the outside, we look and say, that is worthless. I couldn't do anything with that. Sit over here on the floor and get out of my way. But God is working in us and able to do amazing things in us. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He's making us beautiful. He's changing us. He can see this and know that this is the end result. That's why we have to be careful and not be snobbish, not be judges on the external things. Love everyone and give them the opportunity. How dare us be a hindrance to God working in someone's life? But we can be. And sometimes we don't intend it. But just like, just like those people that, that, that said, get a haircut. Come back when you have a, a proper dress on. Learn how to act in the church. Friends, there are Lots of people around us that you would find if you get to talking with them that have stories like that, that they've been hurt in the church. And that's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. I hope that it would not be us. That's why I'm being hard on you. I don't want it to be us. Again, I want want people to leave this church and go, that is the most loving church. I want them to look for excuses not to want to come back because we've loved them so well. And you know where it starts? Smile at somebody. If you see someone new, just smile. And you say, well, I don't know what to say to some people. Say, we are so glad that you're here with us today. That's all you got to do. Believe me, there's some of us that we can gab, we, we, can, we can fill in the gab for you. But just smile and welcome and say, I'm so glad to see you here. Welcome. You take somebody that's come in that, that is scared, okay, you all remember going into a church the first time? 
Do you all remember going into the church after maybe being away from church for years and you feel guilty, you feel ridden, you're wondering, am I good enough? Does God really love me? Perhaps you're struggling in life and you've, you've got sin in your life and you know it and you, you can't get rid of it and you don't know what to do and you walk into a place and you're scared to death, right? What does it do when you walk into that place and people smile at you and say, welcome, I'm so glad that you're here. I, I, I just thank you for coming here today. Or they just want to know who you are. What's your name? Or you see them sitting alone and somebody says, can I sit with you? Not, not, not you come up to them and say, oh, well, that's my seat. <laughs> okay, that's different. That happens too. We are people who love the fact that God was graceful to us. We need to be graceful to others as well. Uh, Third point that he makes here uh, is that snobbery breaks the royal law. And this is very interesting. If you look at verses 8 and 9, this is what he says. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted of the law as lawbreakers. Now, this is a very interesting thing. This is where commentaries go crazy over what does this mean, royal law? This is the only place in Scripture where the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, it comes from the Old Testament as well. This is the only place in Scripture where it's called the royal law. And the point here that James is trying to make is love your neighbor as yourself is extremely important. It's the royal law. Why is it the royal law? Some people say because Jesus, the king, gives us this as the second commandment. Some people say that it's because uh, in this law is summarized all of the rest of Scripture and the commandments. I think you could say either one is true. It's an important, it's a big deal. Love your neighbor, love others as you would love yourself. And James goes on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this point short, but James goes on a lot right here about this royal law, loving others as yourself and what's happened in, in breaking this when this man comes in and sees this, this lowly man and makes a quick judgment about him and says, you're not important, you sit over here on the floor. He's breaking the, law, the royal law. How would, you, how would that usher feel if he came into a new church and the usher said, you're not important, sit over here. James says you're breaking the royal law. James goes on, the most indicting thing that he says here, I want you to catch this, is, is this, this whole thing about the law being a unit, okay? He says if you break one commandment, you break all the commandments, okay? He, he says all this. Here, here's, the, here's the most indicting concept that he says here. Uh, he says, for if, if one keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of breaking all of them, um, and this is the, this is the point. This is what he's saying. He's saying, well, I, I keep the laws. I'm good. In fact, I'm better than you. You look lowly, poor, detest, addicted. You smell. You talk funny. I'm better than you because I keep the laws. And here's what James' point is. Catch this, okay? He just judged that person being a snob. And what did he do in doing so? He broke the royal law. Love your neighbor as as you'd love yourself. Did you catch that? And so James' whole point here is, you're no better. 
You, you broke one law. It's the royal law. It's the grand law. It's the law that, that oversees all of the other laws. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you broke that one and you think you are able to judge? You think you're better than that person? You see, see the point here? You've broken the royal law because of the way that you have judged others, because of your snobbery. Friends, don't think that we're better than others. Don't judge on the outside appearance and go, ah, that person, he doesn't have it put together like me. I keep God's commandments. And in doing so, at that very moment, you're breaking the royal law. That's what James is saying here. The last point, snobbery denies mercy. When we're snobbish to others, we deny mercy. And we see this in verse uh, 12 and 13 here. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has, been, who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, this reminds us that we will all be judged. In one sense, we will be judged because of our sin. We are all sinners. We all deserve punishment for our sin. We have all broken God's law. We have all failed. We have all deserved sin or, or hell. But that's why Christ came to forgive us, to make possible our salvation, to take our sins upon himself and give us his righteousness. That's mercy. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. It wasn't because we were important, great, smart, rich. It's because God had mercy upon us through Christ and made salvation available. We need that mercy. In the same way, one day, we will all stand before the Lord as saved believers who are forgiven from our sins, but we will give an account for the faith and the life that we lived. That makes us tremble, right? When we're reminded of that. And this is kind of the idea that he has here is you want to stand before God and you want God to be merciful to you for the things that you've done and the sin that you've given, but you can't be merciful to others. You can't be graceful. You can't let things go. You're going to judge on outward snobbish things. And you want God to be merciful to you. Jesus uh, says this as well. In, uh, in the Beatitudes, he says, uh, mercy is for those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How dare us celebrate and desire and build our life upon the grace and the mercy of God when we're unwilling to be merciful or graceful in any way to whatsoever to other people? We have to be careful of this, don't we, church? We have to be careful of this. Did the uh, usher, did he have mercy in his heart as he was seating these men? No, he didn't. He based it on outward appearances. We, we need to be very cognizant of this. Our church is very monolithic. We are made up of majority of one type of people. Okay? It shouldn't be. I, my prayer is that our church would reflect our community. The, the, the culture, 
the skin, the language, the education. We are First Baptist Church of Titusville. I want us to look like Titusville. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And as that happens, and I think it's yours as well. You've expressed this to me. But uh, let me prepare you. We've got to be ready because if we want God to send new people, different people, if we want to look like Titusville, not just like the people we look like right now, there's going to be different people that come in. They're going to look different. They're going to have different ideas. They're going to get saved, get excited, join our church, and maybe want to do different ministries. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We want to be a place that accepts and welcomes anyone who God providentially brings to us. Amen? We want to be used by God to build His church. Not to build our church with our agenda. And to do so, we need to be welcoming. We can't be snobs. We can't be snobs of others. We have to be willing to overlook things. We have to be willing to focus on the things that matter. And for some of you, it'll be a challenge. Some of you, I'm sure, have already thought, why is the pastor preaching in jeans today? Listen, nobody gets judged more in a church than the pastor. We have to be not only, we have to be not only graceful to the people that come in, but we gotta be graceful and merciful and loving to each other. Listen, here's the pastor, okay? Uh, um, if you wear, some, some people say the pastor must wear a tie. Some people say, you wear a tie, I don't wear a tie, I can't relate to you. It happens. People ask me, you know, sometimes I'll talk with people and they're interested in coming to the church and I go, what do I wear? Clothes. Cover everything and you'll be good. Some of us get so upset and so uptight over things that just don't matter. It's snobbery. It's snobbery. We can't have that here if we're going to be used by the Lord the way that he wants to use us. If we want to be used by the Lord Lord in the way that he wants to use us. Church, again, I think this is a loving group. I love you. I love this church. But I know we can do better. I know we can do better. And I want us to be that kind of place because Scripture commands us to be that kind of place. And I want to see love grow amongst us.